the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, January the 11th, 2024, in the year of our Lord. On January 11th, 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt proclaimed the Grand Canyon National Monument. It didn't become a national park until 1919. Today in 1913, the first enclosed sedan-type automobile. What kind do you think that was? It was a Hudson. First sedan-type enclosed automobile. It went on display at the 13th National Automobile Show in New York. Today in 1935, aviator Amelia Earhart, she began an 18-hour trip from Honolulu to Oakland, California. That made her the first person to fly solo across any part of the Pacific Ocean. Today in 1964, U.S. Surgeon General Luther Terry, he issued a report, Smoking and Health. And in the report, he concluded that the cigarette smoking contributes substantially to mortality from certain specific diseases and to the overall death rate. Today in 1989, nine days before leaving the White House, President Ronald Reagan bid the nation farewell in a primetime address, saying of his eight years in office, quote, We meant to change a nation, and instead we changed a world. And today in 2020, health authorities in the central Chinese city of Wuhan reported the first death from the Wuhan virus. And they said not to worry about it because it was something that had originated in the meat market close by the Wuhan laboratory and they would get it under control and so on and so forth. We all know how that turned out. Well, Chris Christie has dropped out of the race for the presidency. I I don't think anybody is surprised. They might have thought he might drop out at a different time, but nobody thought Chris Christie was going to be the next president of the United States. I don't think Chris Christie thought that. He said repeatedly that he was running for president so he could have a stage on which he could bash Trump and work to see that Donald Trump is never elected to the presidency in the United States. Interestingly enough, that was last night. Interestingly enough, um, he was caught on a hot mic. You know, a hot mic is when it isn't turned off. And on television and radio, you always have a microphone either attached to your, you know, the front of your clothing or something, or a microphone on a on a boom or something. I'm speaking to a microphone as we speak today. So sometimes when you're in a studio and there's a lot of people around, particularly during the years that I was doing the television show, I, um, I, I was paid attention to that 99% of the time. I never said anything I regretted, but I did say some things uh, or had a discussion with people sometimes that I didn't necessarily want to run upstairs to all of the non-Christian people at the CBS affiliate where my television program originated. 
but so you have to be very careful with that. Well, anyway, <laughs> last last night, Chris Christie, after announcing that he was going to uh, he was withdrawing from the presidential race, he was caught on a hot mic. He thought it was off, of course, um, mocking, petrified. That's his word. Governor Ron DeSantis. He was mocking him, saying he didn't have a chance in China to become the next president and. Blah, blah, blah. He said he's petrified. He looks scared all the time. He was really mocking him behind his back, except he was on a hot microphone and uh, uh, reporters heard it. He also took on Governor Nikki Haley, whom he's been trying to pretend like he was a friend to both of them. And um, he was talking about her slim chances of defeating former President Donald Trump. And so uh, I don't think that's what he had in mind for his little farewell event, but That's the way it turned out. Sometimes things turn out much differently than we think they will. I got this letter from a person. I get a lot of letters from you and notes and so on. And thank you so much for them. I read them all. And um, the encouragement and and so on is is very meaningful to me and, and to others that work with me that read them. But this letter, I just want to take just a moment and, and share a part of it. It's a l- longer letter. It's from Tucson, Arizona area. It says, Gary Randall, thank you for your daily program. I did not begin listening to AM talk radio until shortly after the 2020 presidential election. I have had nearly an hour of time commuting to work each day for 30 years and had listened regularly to NPR's morning edition and all things considered going and coming. I had finally gotten fed up with the increasingly snotty tone of a voice used particularly by the female reporters, detectable occasionally during the Bush years, Bush W., George W., turned to golden tones for Obama, then sounding very disapproving for the Trump years. This person is very, very, uh, very aware. He continues, he said, I turned to the AM dial, And it changed my life. By early 2021, I had dialed around during commercial breaks from our main Rush station, Rush Limbaugh, he's talking about, the late Rush Limbaugh, and discovered you on the Christian station, KGMS. I have made it a point to include you in my daily listening routine. I don't have a TV, and I have particularly recommended your program to any and all. I tell them you are not a radio jock type, for, your former missionary, no commercials and so on, hoping that they will uh, that will get them to take the plunge into talk radio. The general sound, he says, of AM talk radio is in fact rather jarring after the smooth technical sound of FM combined with the polish of the NPR stories. Well, there's a, that's true. I would agree with that in part. Uh, AM is different than FM, but uh, we're on a number of FM stations too, but not in that in his area apparently. He uh, but he said I'm sending you uh, with this letter a copy of a few pages of a book published by Disney. He goes on to talk about Disney and some of the things I've said about Disney. He disagrees. He doesn't think Disney was ever necessarily a good ha- had a good message for for kids, and he talks about that. And I don't disagree with that. By comparison, Disney was good, I have said in the past, but Walt seemed to have a moral structure about him as he started that company. But nonetheless, he sends me some information, and I will be going through it and reading it um, and 
taking a look at it. But anyway, he says, aside from all that, at the end of his letter, he said, aside from all that, I love your show and listen almost every day. I like the topical nature and, as stated above, tell others about it. I build my day, in a sense, around your show. Keep up the good work. I include a small donation and so on. Thank you for that. And I, I, I hear that or some form of that from time to time. People that are have been listening to other radio stations and they start flipping the dial around and they find us and they, they listen to us. And I'm humbled and I thank you for that. And I thank you for your support, all of you who make this possible. We have no commercials on this program. We don't have paid ads on our website. We just do what we do, and the people that believe in what we're doing support it, and here we are. We started out over 10 years ago now with this program. I've done other programs in the past, uh, as well as a 12 years on daily television program, but um, we just look to you to stand with us, and as long as you'll stand with us, we'll keep turning on the microphone and God willing and do what we do. So thank you so much, and thank you, sir, for this letter. It's enlightening and encouraging. And all of you who stand with us, support us. And yes, when we hear from you, we enjoy that too, but you don't have to send a note. Somebody said, I feel like I should send you a note. No, you don't have to feel that way. Just don't don't send one if you don't want to. Just stand with us, support us, and remember us in prayer. And we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98. 98- 009 box 399 Bellevue Washington 98009 There's a new report out from UCLA Medical School came out on January 8th that was what Monday of this week It says it's a long report but I I want to share just a bit of it with you An average of 22 adolescents 14 to 18 years of age die in the US each week from drug overdoses That does not surprise us, but it continues, this report from UCLA Medical School, raising the death rate for this group to 5.2 per 100,000, driven by fentanyl in counterfeit pills, new research finds. Adolescent overdoses have had more than doubled among this group over the past several years and have now intensified to such an extent that the death count equals a high school classroom each week and is now the third largest cause of pediatric deaths in America. The researchers found that the adolescent overdoses were occurring at double the national average in Arizona, Colorado, and Washington State. They identified 19 hotspot counties, that is, those with at least 20 overdose deaths and death rates higher than the national average. Maricopa County in Arizona was one, Los Angeles County, um, was another, and they name off about 17 counties. And I, I don't think I'll go through all these uh, just for the sake of time, but l- let me touch on a couple of them. The 17 counties are, of course, Orange County, California, Cook County, Illinois, San Bernardino, California. <clears throat> and then this is in order um, from the top, the most, King County, Washington, Riverside County, California, San Diego, California, and so on. There was Texas, Nevada, uh, Clark County in Nevada, Kern County in California, Pima County in Arizona, Adams County, Colorado, uh, and so on in Tennessee, Davison County in Tennessee, that's near Nashville, and Marion County, Indiana. In addition, 
American Indian and Alaska Native adolescents had 1.82 times the overdose rates of whites. As I said, it's a long article. It's put out by the UCLA Medical School and just put out, just published this week. But the conclusion of this, and a number of doctors were in it, and they were weighing in, and they were talking about the kinds of things that doctors talk about in a secular sense. They were saying, we need a more sense of community, and we need to you know, do a whole bunch of things, and none of which I disagreed with. But what they were saying did not seem to me, from my perspective, not from a medical perspective, but just from a person who's been with a lot of people in his life in the ministry, it didn't seem to me that they were touching really on the real cure for this thing that has come upon us. And it is a horrible, horrible plague that has come upon us, the drug issues. I saw drugs when I was a youth pastor in the late 60s and through the 70s. I saw drugs as king. We had LSD and all of those. You probably you may have seen the movie The Re- Jesus Revolution. Well, I was a youth pastor during those years in... Um, in Washington State and in in Oregon and in California, in North Hollywood, in a church there, a large church there. I saw all this. We dealt with it. Marjorie and I had druggies in our house, and they were drugged out and asking who Jesus was, and they'd heard of him somewhere. And oh, I mean, it was unbelievable. I've seen it all, but I have not seen the intensity that we're seeing now coupled with the destructive forces of the left operating in the culture in the way that they are now. So the conclusion of this UCLA Medical School study says it's um, it's Dr. Scott Hadlin. He's a chief of adolescent med- medicine at um, Massachusetts General for Children, and he's the senior author of this paper working in as a cohort with UCLA Medical School. He says, fentanyl has rapidly become a leading cause of death in American teens. He said, policymakers, clinicians, families, and communities need to partner together to address this worsening public health threat. We do need policymakers, clinicians, families, communities. We need to partner together to address this issue. But that isn't ultimately the answer. And I want to talk to you about the answer today. There is an answer. I've seen the cures. I've seen this answer at work. And it touches me deeply to talk about it. There's trouble in our nation today. It doesn't look good. These times are dark times. These are perilous times. That's why Nahum the prophet wrote not only for his time, but he wrote for our time as well in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. He said, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 138, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me, thou wilt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. A genuine spiritual revival and outpouring that began back in 2023 continues 
at the start of this new year, tens of thousands of young people are finding Jesus Christ as the answer to the problems in their lives. It's on display, devotion to Jesus, churches are being packed out, auditoriums, stadiums across the country are filled. I wrote an article about this on our website. I, I mentioned this to you because I'm going I'm to be talking from that article the next few minutes. But you can see the pictures and there's some uh, YouTube video and so on on there of what's happening. You don't hear about it in the, in the news. The secular world denies it or they just think it's irrelevant, but it isn't. It's really at the heart of the problem that we have in our country among our youth. They need to know Jesus Christ personally. Jesus Christ can change a life. And not a few, but hundreds of thousands, probably millions, are finding that to be true in their own lives. Young people, kids, those that group of people that are leading the parade down the certain path of death with drugs, fentanyl in particular, but others as well. This growing movement is not led by so-called celebrity preachers or worship leaders, Billy Graham, or someone taking his place is not leading this. It's a whole bunch of people, preachers, worship leaders. Most of them are known or not known at all or just known regionally, and some of them you may have heard of if you're very involved in it. They're young, and there's old pastors involved in it, old guys like you <laughs> and others. Youth ministers, the common chord is, it's real. It is of the Lord. I've been watching this since it started this past year, particularly at Asbury University. I've been watching this from a lifetime of experience. In my heart, I know it's real. And I'm not the only one. Thousands, perhaps millions of others know it's real too. It's not in the news because that doesn't fit the matrix of the news today. They don't want anything to do with, you know, church. They're the state, sort of. They represent the state. Don't want any crossover there on that, so they don't report it very often. Evangelist Matt, Matt Brown, he's the founder of a ministry called Think Eternity. He recently shared on X, formerly Twitter, that thousands of young people are ringing in 2024 by passionately seeking God. He noted this is true, that well over 100,000 young people gathered to seek God over the new year and to ring in 2024 with revival. So while we were introduced to all the parties and all the stuff that goes on on New Year's Eve and everything, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of young kids, 18 to 24, 30 in that category, they were ringing in the new year with a revival. 55,000 gathered at Passion in Atlanta last weekend, 10,000 at CrossCon in Kentucky, 7,000 kids at Crew National Gathering, 5,000 at SALT Conference in Iowa, 13,500 at Strength to Stand in Tennessee, 12,000 at Hearts on Fire in Tennessee, 7,000 kids gathered at Extreme in Missouri. And the list goes on. And that's just this year. 11 days. Of course, he says, there is no way to even begin to calculate the millions of people that gathered at local churches to seek God across the nation and worldwide. But he's focusing on what the youth are doing today that we, we don't hear about. Also, countless churches, he said, are now call, calling their congregates to fast and pray at the beginning of this new year 
pray for the youth, pray for our nation, pray for this upcoming election this year, and so on. Thousands and thousands. I put, as I said, I put a couple of videos in the article that I published uh, on our was published on our website today, faithandfreedom.us. Faith a n d freedom dot us, not dot com, but dot us. Earlier this week, I talked about the Passion Twenty Four, which was held in Atlanta. Fifty five thousand young adults gathered in Atlanta, Georgia, last week in the stadium to worship Jesus. They delved into God's word. They learned how to be light in their generation at this conference. That's what they were there for. It's all about Jesus. This Passion founder and pastor, this Louis Giglio. He's been doing this for some time. He's a, I don't I think he's mid 60s or 70 maybe. I'm not sure. I I've been aware of him for years. I may have met him. I don't remember. But um he's still doing it. He pastors a church, but he's still out reaching out to youth and he's doing it successfully. They had 55,000 kids fill the stadium to worship the Lord. The statement rang especially true during one Passion worship service when tens of thousands kept singing, Worthy is the Lamb, Worthy is the Lamb, out of the book of Revelation, for minutes on end after the band had stopped playing on stage. And they were all worshiping corporately together, but thousands of these kids just kept singing that phrase. Well, that's a biblical phrase, Worthy is the Lamb. It moves me deeply. This Pastor Giglio, he's the leader of that, he spoke to me when he said, I try not to get swept up in the loud music of the bright lights because then it's just an emotional experience. It interferes with genuine worship. But he said, as the music stopped, we all just kept singing. We kept singing that phrase, worthy is the lamb. He said, some were laughing and some were crying. And he said, they, they could have stayed for hours and hours, and some did. This Dr. Malachi O'Brien, he called it a once-in-a-generation marking Pastor Zach uh, Merkrebs, he's a, he gave the sermon at Asbury University on Feb- uh, February 8th of last year. We talked about it then, and I've mentioned it since. That marked a 16-day outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that on that university campus. He's the first to acknowledge. He said, this is taking place. It's a true work of God's Spirit. He said, it isn't like powerful sermons and things, although some are pretty good. He said, in fact, he's the guy that spoke at Asbury when that outpouring began, which spawned other outpourings. uh, And kids across the country on university campuses started to get together for prayer. And and it, it just built to what we're talking about today and continues to build because they know that they need God. And this uh, Zach, he he said he called, he texted his wife after he got through giving that sermon there on the university campus, and he says uh, he he said to his wife in a text, he said it wasn't good preaching. He said that's for sure. He said I told my wife in a text I laid a stinker. It wasn't a good sermon at all. And he said I really felt badly about it. He said I told her I would be home soon and take to take a nap, but he said I never went home to take a nap. He said for 16 days, it was God pouring out his spirit. It was unbelievable. As I said, that was about a year ago, and I talked about it on this program at some length. Matt Brown, he's deeply involved in this. He says his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, talking about Jesus, his humility, is just in our midst. He said ego in this movement is offensive. He said, I can't get to the altar fast enough to ask forgiveness for my sins. 
students are encountering God. Merkrebs added that what is taking place now is worth contending for, as the Apostle Paul talked about. He said, we've heard stories of stadiums in Pakistan, Israel, all over the world. People are just seeking the face of God and lingering in his presence because it's worth it. And there are no other answers today. Nothing is working in our world. Excuse me. Nothing is really working in America either. Merkrebs and Paul Worcester, he's the National Collegiate Director at North American Mission Board. They're hosting a forum on January 23rd. That's just, what, a couple of weeks to explore ways to continue this movement among Gen Zers and keep these kids focused on the Lord and reaching out to their friends and leading them to Jesus Christ. Shane Pruitt is the National Next Gen Director with North American Mission Board. He recently released a Bible study <clears throat> through Lifeway, <clears throat> excuse me, through Lifeway Christian Resources called Revival Generation. The book takes students through a kind of an eight-word study on subjects like repentance, holiness, surrender, obedience. It explores what it means for students to experience personal revival in their walk with God. That's extremely appropriate. Pruitt says that he believes the lockdowns and the restrictions from the COVID-19 pandemic ushered in a spiritual shift among this group, Gen Z, the 18 to 24 group primarily. The pandemic didn't create new problems for Gen Z, but I think it poured gas on some problems that were already there. I agree, it did. You have a whole generation who has come to the end of themselves at at a much earlier age. They're looking for hope, and they're looking for answers. Meanwhile, other Christian leaders and ministers are calling for one million young people to return to their first love during the roar, what they're calling the Roaring Twenties, <laughs> to fast and pray during the Roaring Twenties, that God will change our nation, change our culture, and change our hearts individually. Dr. Malachi O'Brien, one of the event's organizers, he said on X, Twitter, he said, first love for Jesus seems to be the commonality among the Spirit, is emphasizing right now in his church. The crisis in Israel, the political unrest in America, and the sense of darkness attempting to destroy the church is awakening many to loving Jesus as being the only answer for the hour that we find ourselves in. He's one of the organizers. He's absolutely right. Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon, a great, great revivalist, a great pastor, great preacher, often quoted. Charles Spurgeon said, oh, men and brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there are some, some among you that will go home and pray for a revival? Men whose faith is large enough and their love fiery enough. Excuse me. To lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions, that God would appear among us and do wondrous things here as in the times of former generations. If I could speak to Charles Haddon Spurgeon today, I would say, Pastor Spurgeon, they are. It's happening. What you hoped for is happening In our generation, it's happening as in times of former generations. 
forgive me for my emotion, and I am deeply, deeply involved in this spiritually, as you can imagine. Thank you for being with me. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.